This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But true hit, we've got plenty of research showing when you just do alternating hard to very hard for your relative level of fitness with light to moderate recoveries, you get the same health benefits with minimal risk. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard was Dr. Len Kravitz. No, not the singer Len Kravitz, but the researcher Dr. Len Kravitz. If you've been in the fitness industry, if you work in the fitness industry, if you're a trainer or instructor, you should know that name. If you don't, well, you're going to learn a lot in this episode. Dr. Kravitz has been researching exercise for years. Not only is he one of the leading researchers, but he does a lot of writing and speaking and education for trainers and instructors. Almost every fitness conference, Dr. Len is there talking about the physiology of what we do, of how the body adapts to exercise. That's what's so amazing is that there are so many different ways to exercise. We can do strength training. We can do cardiorespiratory training. We can do mobility training. And in those categories, we have a myriad of different ways that we can do different types of exercise. The hard part for us, and by us, I mean trainers and instructors who help you, the general consumer, sweat. The hard part for us is identifying which, which types of exercise are going to be best for your needs. Well, Dr. Kravitz is one of those people doing the research and doing the education to help us understand that. This is going to be a fun conversation today. We go deep into the benefits of high-intensity interval training, and we talk about some of the myths and, and misperceptions. Look, HIIT training works. High-intensity interval training works. But when done the wrong way, when applied the wrong way, it could really hurt you. It could. So what we talk about today is a proper application of high-intensity interval training. It's what Dr. Kravitz just wrote a book about called Hit Your Limit. So we talk about high-intensity interval training, we talk about Dr. Kravitz's research, and we talk about the type of exercise that provides the benefits that you want. Hearing us talk about this information on a podcast is one thing, but I would invite you to join me, Dr. Kravitz, and other fitness industry leaders at this year's Idea World Convention, which is happening in Anaheim, California from June 26th to 30th. It can be the most rewarding investment that you'll ever make. At the Idea World Convention, you'll have the opportunity to interact with myself, Dr. Kravitz, and a number of other people you've heard on All About Fitness so you can learn how to apply exercise to your life. At Idea World, you'll get the firsthand best practice on powerful and effective both one-on-one and group training programs. You're going to learn groundbreaking movement, nutrition, and behavior change strategies that you can use to help your clients get results. You're going to learn how to lead, manage, sell, market, and grow a bulletproof fitness business. Overall, you are going to become better as a trainer or instructor. And for general consumers, if you just want to come and learn as much about fitness as possible, please join us. All the information will be below in the show notes. And if you want a special discount, listen for after the interview, and I give you a special discount that allow you to save on this year's Idea World Convention. 
you're looking for that perfect piece of at-home exercise equipment, if you need weights for the home, but you don't want the heavy iron sitting around your house, then go to hyperware.com. Hyperware makes sand bells and soft bells. Those are great for home use. Sand bells are exactly what they sound like. They're kind of a combination between a sandbag, a medicine ball. You can lift them, you can carry them, you can throw them. You might not want to throw them in your house, but anyway, you can do a lot of things with them. Soft bells are take, take two sand bells and you can use them for a barbell. You can use them as a dumbbell or you can put them on a kettlebell handle, but soft bells allow you to turn sand bells into your favorite type of weights. Go to hyperware.com, use code AAF10, that's AAF10, to save 10% on the purchase of any Hyperware product. You can use it as a bench. You can use it as a step. You can use it as a balance trainer. You can use it for your high-intensity interval training. What is it? It's the TerraCore. Go to TerraCoreFitness.com. That's T-E-R-R-A Core, C-O-R-E, Fitness.com. TerraCore is one of the newest tools on the market. The TerraCore is recognized as one of the top 25 products you should have for your home. Go to TerraCoreFitness.com and see why. You can use code AAF10 that's AAF10 to save 10% on the purchase of a TerraCore for your own use. And if you want to see some great stuff that you can do on the TerraCore, go to Instagram and check out TerraCore Fitness on Instagram. That's T-E-R-R-A Core Fitness on Instagram. This is Pete McCall of the All About Fitness Podcast, and I am sitting down today with Dr. Len Kravitz out of the University of New Mexico. Right, University of New Mexico? Yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. And, and Dr. And Dr. Len is, is just wrote a book about high-intensity interval training. So one of the first questions I have, Dr. Kravitz, is what is HIT? What is high-intensity interval training? The wonderful HIT, which has been around for 100 years, <laughs> is workouts that involve a higher intensity of exercise, what we oftentimes call a spurt bout, alternating with a recovery bout that is a light to moderate type of intensity, and you alternate these spurts with recoveries, and the research is showing some incredible health benefits. And Pete, 100 years ago, sports scientists and coaches found that it really helped endurance athletes improve their PRs in the particular events that they competed in. Huh. And so it's been around that long. And, and, and I've read some of the stuff I've read about HIT training is it was really big, I guess, in the Nordic community and like, you know, you have Finland, Sweden. They're the original researchers out of that. What what were they doing differently? I mean, how did people used to train 100 years ago? What, where did this evolve from? Because I, I love this. I don't know if you know this. I'm a huge fan of history. So anytime we talk about the history of the fitness, I totally geek out on that. So how did we get from, from starting HIT more than a, a century ago to where we are today? Oh, what a history. You know, if you really want to trace the roots that are documented in, you know, 100 years ago, endurance athletes were training for endurance by doing endurance runs. But then came along the Scandinavian competitor, Pavel Nurmi, and his coach had an idea. On an endurance run... Six times during any endurance run, and this could be, you know, 60-minute type of endurance runs, I want you to do these spurts, you know, these 400-meter spurts where you go all out. 
And his coach always, always varied when Pavel would do the six spurts in these like one hour endurance runs. And the whole philosophy of hit with sport performance was at any time in a race, you may really have to pick it up to either stay up with the competition or to get ahead of the competition. And the idea of a spurt bout in sport performance and training for those times when you have to pick it up became an incredible training technique. And this is really the historical you know, evolution of HIT training, the idea of having to do these spurts to either keep up or beat the competition. And then all of a sudden, we have, you know, over years, the evolution of high-intensity interval training due to the wonderful Scandinavian researchers, as you mentioned, who actually started to do research and showing, wow, this really does improve VO2 max. This really does improve your lactate threshold. And then the science started to really say, this is a great, great training type of, of for endurance athletes. And now we do it for all of our enthusiasts, too. Well, I think that's so interesting because you go back and we look at this, when we look at like the history of a certain type of mode like HIT. You know, 80, 100 years ago, we, you know, I think coaches observed that maybe the runners got a better result, but it's only been, what, the last 30, 40 years where we've really been able to understand what's going on physiologically in the body. So understanding, like, how metabolically what HIT is doing and, and, the, and the change it's having. So the question I have to get to that, is HIT safe? Because HIT comes from high-intensity interval training, comes from the performance community for highly trained athletes, but is HIT safe for the average person? You know, I, I think the key here, that's really the number one absolute important question what you've just targeted on in sport performance they always always challenge the athletes to go all out spurts and we've seen several studies that that have used that approach too but in reality we see now the general application of hit is to go at intensity greater than what we would say is maybe 80 percent of your aerobic capacity, which for most people, and that's on the spurt bout of the hit, for most people, that's a hard to very hard relative to your fitness level type of bout. So Pete, the big difference is some trainers in the industry try to use the sport performance approach of all out, but true hit, we've got plenty of research showing when you just do alternating hard to very hard for your relative level of fitness with light to moderate recoveries, you get the same health benefits with minimal risk. Well, I want to come back to that because the interesting thing, and, 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 and I'm going to alternate. I, I know out of respect, I want to call you Dr. Kravis, but we've known each other for a while, so also Len. But one of the things I've noticed recently, Len, in, in the literature is you have two different huge components, right? You have the sports performance community, which is all about energy conservation. Because when you look at exercise for sports performance, you're trying to you know conserve ATP. So if you need it in the final 100, 200 meters of a race, you need it in the final you know five minutes of a competition. So I find it interesting that you have one whole branch of literature has been studying maximized energy conservation and energy efficiency, and then you have the other side for the consumer or for the general health application, which is all about energy expenditure, which is like how do we maximize energy consumption? So it's kind of like you know in my mind there, there are two different. It's not so. I like the fact that you identified that when trainers use a performance model for a health paradigm, because that's a huge difference. I think for listeners, and it's a general consumer audience that I like to speak to. Why would a general consumer in their forties or fifties? Why would they do it? Why would would somebody in their forties or fifties do high intensity interval training? 
the key, as you have so done your homework well, is the fact that we need to think hit for the health benefits for trainers worldwide and not to try to adopt the sport performance, which is really for athletic events, competition. The key, I think, for everybody to realize is when you alternate these bouts of a high or hard with a low to moderate, the research shows it's incredibly helpful for developing what we call cardio protection, heart protection from cardiovascular disease. And so there's magnificent research on the cardiovascular heart and vascular system benefits of doing HIT. But Pete, you nailed it when you said energy expenditure. What happens is scientists, and you're right, Pete, it's been within the last few years only, have discovered when you do HIT, it actually signals a new type of pathway. We call it the AMPK pathway, Mm -hmm. which actually sends a signal to the most important protein in muscle for building fat-burning fireplaces. And that that protein is called PGC1-alpha. It's the protein that makes the... burning fireplaces in the muscle cell, those organelles called mitochondria, get bigger and more. And when you spoke about energy expenditure, the bigger and more mitochondria you have, the greater energy expenditure you have for weight loss. And the other other thing too, though, isn't mitochondria important? Because now there's so much energy, there's so much focus spent on active aging. What role does mitochondria play for overall cellular health and aging? Every chronic disease that we know of, just go down the list, you know, from high blood pressure to any kind of vascular disease to type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, has one thing in common, the breakdown of mitochondria, mitochondrial pathogenesis, things that are going wrong. And one thing hit, and and I have to say, steady state is so wonderful that it helps to combat the mitochondrial pathogenesis diseases. When the mitochondria start breaking down, we don't have enough energy to take care of the body's cells, tissues, and organs. And if disease is present, it exasperates whatever the disease is. And hit training is just a new approach that helps combat this pathological condition. We call it mitochondrial biogenesis, the making of new and bigger mitochondria. That's really, that's really neat. And, you know, I'm going to pause for a second because I think if we sometimes found like if we hold it too close, it'll, it'll start spiking, like it'll start, or it'll start peaking. Yeah, so I think these are very, they're, yeah, they're a little sensitive. I, we, we get excited, we start bringing it closer. So I'm going to pause for and a second. I always do that too. Yeah, I yeah, always, yeah. always pause for a second. I think that's what people don't realize, Glenn, I think, is that health is from the cellular level up. And so that's why I wanted to ask that question, because when we do do this type of exercise, it affects change in our body from the smallest level all the way out. So what's the danger of doing too much high-intensity exercise? You know, as we age, as we age, we notice one thing, and if you're exercising a lot, I exercise every day. You do not recover as fast as you age. And, and, you know, that's a lot of chronological changes in cells where where they're, you know, just repairing and replenishing proteins that are are being utilized in, in, in our workouts. 
And because HIIT is a little bit more challenging relative to you know your fitness level, you need to be very guarded on the recovery. So in my book, Hit Your Limit, I start maybe say suggesting one HIIT workout, especially if you haven't done it, you know, a week with, with alternating steady state bouts, work up the two, and perhaps even work up eventually to three HIIT, but then make sure they're non-consecutive. Pete, without a doubt, and I know you've done presentations on this, it's, it's all about recovery and optimizing recovery so that on the next bout, you can give sufficient energy to improve your, your aerobic capacity, to improve you know, all of your cardioprotective benefits. Well, that's again, that comes back to that paradigm, right, between you have your health seekers and you have your performance folks. Because in performance, you know, my background's rugby. When we would do hit training is because we would go very couple minutes of very intense activity, and then we might have a breakdown or something, you know, where we have a minute or two, of we get the recovery. So from a performance standpoint, we need to be able to, to perform at a high level and recover quickly. And the challenge I see in, in health clubs and with the, I try to, the audience I try to communicate with is to get people to understand that the better your recovery, the harder you can work. That is just like we have this mindset. We want to work harder. We want to work longer. We, if four minutes of hit is good for us, then 30 minutes must be better for us, right? But isn't it true that when it comes to the high intensity, the duration of high intensity, Dr. Kravitz, is not nearly as important as the actual intensity itself? Without a doubt, the, one of the greatest researchers of our time is a researcher in Boucher in you know, Australia. And in reference to you know, the intensity versus the duration that you just presented, I was at a, a conference in Australia where he introduced you know, his concept of short sprint interval training. And he mentioned to the audience that no matter who it is, you know, people with, with disease and those with actual sport you know, directions, they like to keep their workouts no longer than 20 minutes. And this shocked a lot of us you know, in the audience. And you know, in the question and answer, someone says, well, why don't you go longer you know, to get more benefit? He says, well, we always just focus on intensity. Once you know, any of our athletes or, or clinical patients gets up to 20 minutes, we just focus focus on making it incrementally a little bit harder because we've found from sport to health, it's all about the intensity. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I think you, and there's a piece of research that I've been referring to this year that was published last fall in the United States uh, Journal of Strength Conditioning Research that I love because what they did is they took one group that did, they did one four minute Tabata workout. It was like a body weight. They did burpees, they did mountain climbers. And I don't remember, they did four body weight exercises and a Tabata. And for listeners, Tabata is you do eight cycles. It's 20 seconds of exercise followed by a 10 seconds of rest for eight cycles for a total of four minutes. And what they found in this research is they had the one group do one to do the bottom workout, and they had one group do, um, I think they ran at 30 minutes on the treadmill at 80% of their VO2. I think it was, it was 80% of their max effort. I don't even know if they used VO2 or heart rate. It was VO2 or heart rate. Um, so, so Len's telling me heart rate. So, so they had you, you know, one group do, do 12 minutes of exercise a week. They did three four-minute Tabata intervals. And you had the other group do 90 minutes of exercise a week you know, on three, you know, three treadmill workouts over the course of 16 weeks. And that, I think, was a critical part of the research was it was a longer research period. And what they found was that the, the, the 12 minutes a week got better results than the 9 minutes a week. Is that relatively consistent with what you've seen in the literature? I think so. And, and without a doubt, because the HIT actually activates a couple of unique 
um, signaling pathways to the mitochondria. I feel at the cellular level, the research is suggesting that HIT has a more more potent response, you know, to our cellular level adaptations. But we must take this with caution because right now, as you mentioned, that was a wonderful 16-week study that you talked about. And perhaps the best question I always get at conferences is HIT really just faster at these cellular adaptations mm. and will steady state eventually attain the same type of, of benefits? You know, or, or is there something very, very unique about HIT? And, and I always have to reference, since I'm evidence-based, we need those long-term studies with HIT, which we don't have yet, to really validate that there is that unique aspect that all of us scientists are hypothesizing by HIT and, and chronically or long-term the benefits really proved to be that worthy. See, one of the things, and for listeners, one of the things that I, I want you to pay attention to when when I talk to when I speak with people like you know Dr. Kravitz, you've been a professor for years. You, you, you're well known. You know, you're you're you're, you're tenured tenured professor, tenured professor, and you're well known. And the, the interesting thing is, I find that the more people know, the longer you've been doing the research, the less definitive you are with your answers. Meaning that you don't know. You know, you've seen a study that maybe it was an eight week or twelve week or thirty week that you know you're going to base you can give an answer based on that study for that population only because that's what they observed. And so I want to for listeners, I want you to caution that the people who I speak to that have the most knowledge are the less least definitive in their answers. Whereas other people that I've seen in our industry that really don't don't have that much experience or that much you know formal education are more definitive in their answers. So why is it with the research? Why is it that you, you, you don't? Why is it with the research? We just don't know, right? I mean, what is it about research that we learn, and why should we be cautious when we hear people refer to it? That is incredibly truthful. Your comments, as, as you just so so wonderfully expressed. Typically, with researchers, in every question that we ask in writing or you know in, in a you know verbal presentation or here in an interview, is what does the evidence say? In relationship to you know our hit conversation today, we have so many short-term, you know, four, eight, twelve, sixteen-week studies showing all these remarkable benefits from a health and, and performance type of, of, of assessment. But the evidence is not there for the long term. And as a scientist, we need to be truthful and factful. We need to be able to cite a study, you know, and and share with the audience what the research says. And right now, the biggest area of growth for HIIT training is long-term studies, six months to 12 months to 18 months, and to compare those results with steady-state training, and we'll really have an answer to, you know, the pressing question, question, is HIT just really an immediate response that's faster, or are there really magnificent benefits over the long run? And that gets into another question, and when we base on the, on the evidence and based on what we've observed, you know, how important is it to periodize or to alternate between periods of high and low intensity? And, and what would be, like, how do, you, how do you address that in your book? Without a doubt, I encourage the, a periodized approach without explaining the periodized approach. But the body does much, much better in alternating bouts of a higher intensity with bouts of a lower intensity. And we're talking about now through the course of a week, not just within you know a, a workout session. And it gets back to what you and I were talking about first. You have a more optimal recovery when you alternate these bouts. Because if you just train too 
too hard, the cells actually become overtrained too. And, you know, over time, overtraining, as you know, Pete, is a cellular adaptation that, that is too hard of exercise, and the cell is actually starting to break down. And if the cell breaks down, muscle cells, tissues start to break down, and then it can lead to, you know, chronic problems. And in the book, without a doubt, I say one hit workout a week. Start with that. All the rest of the workouts are nice, steady state, because we do have the evidence on steady state. You could do that seven days a week, steady state. But we, we, all, we always say three to five is optimal. And then once you feel comfortable, add your second one on a non-consecutive day. But Pete, we're all leading to one thing that we as fitness professionals and coaches and trainers always remember progressive overload. Be very progressive and the body will respond accordingly. Well, I think that's because people forget that, that we have to challenge. And one of the the things I like to remind instructors that our job is to help people be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Is because you know if we, you know, if you're always doing the same thing, you don't hit some kind of discomfort, you're not challenging your body. I mean, isn't that true? Because it's one thing to do steady state where you, you get your heart rate up and that might be, you can have some benefits from that. But don't you need to push to some sort of discomfort in order to kind of get the adaptations you want? I really like your explanation. We always have to vary the workout in a way that has a positive stimuli to our muscles, to our cardiovascular system, to our musculoskeletal system in order to improve. And years ago, I took an online class on metabolic biology from this very, very famous, you know, uh, scientist. And and he started off his presentation, one of them, with the the concept that every day all of your cells get about 10,000 different stimuli. Hmm. And then he said, you know, it was an online class, he said, apply this to your profession. If cells every day internally are getting 10,000 different stimuli, shouldn't you, no matter what your profession is, clinical, sport performance, health, shouldn't you be giving multiple stimuli to target your goal, whether it be health or performance? And I interpreted this as you just can't do the same workout all the time because then you're not varying the stimulus to the body. Well, that's actually because variability, that's been a new thing that we've been, you know, we've been talking about is, you know, with other people is the variability. How important is that, is that variability to the body? Why should we be doing changing our workouts on a regular basis? The greatest research of our time came from Hans Selye in the early 1900s. And, and, you know, his history is he he works, you know, he works with mammals. He looks at rats for like 20 or 30 years. You know, we document how many years. And and then he started doing research with, you know, humans. And, you know, he did multiple stimuli, not just exercise stimuli, but multiple different types of stimuli. And he found with, with all of us, all mammals, that if... You continually change the stimuli, whatever you're doing, in our case, an exercise stimuli, the body will respond by getting stronger, faster, more powerful. But if you apply the same stimuli all the time, he not only showed that you would reach a, a, a level of plateau, but he showed that eventually the plateau, it would start going down because you're just not providing the variety for any type of adaptation to occur. And, and that's one thing, and, and for listeners, that's called the general 
maladaptation syndrome. You know, it's a, it's part. Of, I mean, it's it's almost like our foundational you know exercise physiology one hundred and one. And so I love the fact that, that you you brought up his work. You know, but but when you look at that though, isn't there some? Because this is the challenge. Because we need variability, but don't we need some consistency for adaptation? So that's where we get like six to eight or ten week blocks of doing a specific type of group. So we can have some consistency, but we need variability in that consistency. So how should somebody, you know, how could somebody think about that in terms of their regular exercise program? Well, without a doubt, you're talking about now about why periodization is so good because periodization actually has, say like you and I, we're doing this workout regimen, hard day, light day, hard day, light day, super hard day, and we do that type of workout, could be cardiovascular or resistance training for four weeks. Then the concept of periodization, the next four weeks, we might do light day, light day, hard, light, hard, hard. We will vary it. And the concept of periodization really addresses your point so well addressed that there are periods of consistency and then you change the stimuli and perhaps four, six, or eight weeks of other consistency. So, so that consistency is built into periodization, but, but we, we treat it systematically by changing that consistency. And, and, and it's, some people call it block periodization, where you make changes. You know, I like to use what's called two to six week blocks. Yeah. I love two to six weeks, and then I change it, change it up. And that's what I try to get people to think, because I think I love the six-week thing. I'm glad, because you're kind of validating that. I kind of go on the six- to eight-week thing, because we find anything longer than eight weeks in the gym, people fall off. Anything shorter than six weeks, I know I'm not going to really, we're not going to invoke that many adaptations. So when I look at classes, I usually plan my class programs out for about eight weeks, for about two months. And I tell people in my classes, we're going to be doing something different over the next eight, you know, over the next eight weeks. So be prepared for the first two or three weeks are going to be really tough. And then for the next five or six weeks, you're going to feel the difference. And they love that. They love kind of having that strength. They understand. I try to coach them through that about why the first two or three classes are going to be tough because you're doing something different. But over the course of, if you stay consistent by the last week of that, of this block, you guys, and I, and I see the difference. I mean, the thing is I see them move. I see everything change. And that's really where, that's the fun thing about being able to apply the science. So with your book, Hit Your Limit, why, why'd you write that? What, what, cause you're well known. I mean, for the Dr. Kravitz writes a lot for, for idea fitness journal. You speak all over the world at, at these conferences. I know we see each other quite a bit, but what, what prompted you to write Hit Your Limit? What a fabulous question. It, it was really, you know, an email. You know, I, I've oftentimes, you know, wanted to do my next book. I have a book on eccentric training and, and a 100, 200 level textbook for fitness classes, Anybody's Guide to Total Fitness. And I got a, a, an email from the publisher of Apollo Publishers, the publisher of, of my book in New York City. And the publisher said, I've read all your articles, you know, they're all online, and said, I'd really like to do a book. If you were to do a new book, what would it be? And, you know, when I looked at the ACSM fitness trends, and at the time, the last two years when I looked at it, the number one trend was HIT. So I told the publisher, you know, I love HIT, I've done HIT research, and it's, you know, the number one trend throughout the world. I think that would be the book to write right now. And with that, I mean, why is it? I mean, what will people get? I mean, is it for? Was it better for consumers? Is it better for professionals? I mean, how much detail is there? And, and what do people walk away from? Or what do people walk away with? I guess in, in writing the book, I have a wonderful publisher. She said, "Be as thorough as you want." So she gave me the ticket, and so hit is really two books in one, Pete. 
It's got an incredible, you know, introduction to exercise, the health benefits of exercise, and of course, everything you ever wanted to know about HIT. But then the second part of the book is all weight management strategies, techniques, you know, all different types of evidence-based approaches to successful weight management. And I share with, with you know, my publisher that even the trained personal trainer, the certified fitness professional, what? Love hit your limit for one major reason. The book is 100% cited. Everything presented. It's very user-friendly, but it's all based on research. And that's so important. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about, because this, I think, is a really cool thing. I was going back through some, and, and for listeners, I've been going, I've been in this business 20 years, and I have a, a collection of three-ring binders at home in my office of lecture notes and conference notes and articles. And I was going back to something in the early 2000s, and he's been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. He was a student of yours, Chris Frankel. And so of your students, how... It must be really cool to see students that come to you, that come through your program, have an impact. How does that make you feel? When you see somebody that, that you've worked with that's now out there, you know, Chris Frankel works for TRX, and I'm sure you have plenty of other students who I might not be aware of, but how cool, is, I mean, you can sit back and say, you know you've had an impact on the industry. What a, what a fabulous, fabulous question to be able to share, because very people ask this, but I am so proud of our students. Chris Frankel, believe it or not, Pete, he came back. He's doing his PhD. And we talked so about I, I guided him. Yeah, I guided him through his master's. He'll tell you the story. Now we're doing an incredible PhD study with Chris. And then, you know, just to share with you what one other student, and this reflects of all of them, another one of my students, Dr. Lance Dalek, right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize he was one of your students. Okay. Yeah, he works. A lot of the readers okay. or listeners probably know the name Dalek because he does a tremendous yeah. amount of research. And, of course, you know, he works with a sponsor. You know, type of research. And he was my, you know, one of our, I should say, students. But I take so much pride in seeing the students that I have mentored become titans in the world of research, in the world of fitness, in the world of exercise physiology. There's no better reward than seeing your students take the baton and take it to the next level. And I thought that was, so, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but I thought it was so cool because it was like, I can't remember, it was like in the early 2000s that I saw that Chris had done an article with you. So I asked him about that you know, when I interviewed him and I just wanted to kind of close the loop and, and, and come back and connect the dots. So Dr. Len Kravis, the book is Hit Your Limit. How can people get, where do people find it, and how can people follow any information you might put out? Without a doubt. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. <laughs> They've got the best prices, and you know, they get it to you in one or two days, depending on your order. With or without the robots or the drones. With or without the drones <laughs> and robots. So go, go to Amazon, without a doubt. And then if you just Google Dr. Len Kravitz, That'll take you to my webpage, and then just click on publications. There's, believe it or not, there's over 300 publications. They're all peer reviewed. So for the readers, you know, in, in this podcast that that want to enjoy anything and everything about exercise, fitness, physiology of the body, just. Google me, go to publications, and you're going to be reading for a while because <laughs> there, there's, as you know, Pete, yeah. like two and a half decades of research, you know, there. Well, and for listeners, I one of the first things I do, anytime I'm working on something new, anytime I will go to your page and I'll have a link to it below in the show notes and I'll link down to, to, to your book as well. But I go to your, I look at your articles, I go back to your articles and I look at your footnotes. I, I, I think I emailed you one time a years ago for your list of footnotes that wasn't published in something because for listeners, 
if you're looking at research and you're looking at something, somebody like Dr. Kravitz or any other anybody else published, your best sometimes the best information you get is what are their sources. So anytime I'm, I'm digging through, if I'm writing an article, if I'm preparing notes on something, I'm looking at the footnotes, and, and that's one of the things I love about the work you do is, and that's really one of the first stops I do when I'm going down a new avenue. If I'm whatever I'm researching, I go, I go to your page, and I'm like, okay, what's what's the doc published on this? Let me dig into his footnotes. So I just want to say thank you for that. I, yeah, I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I mean, you're definitely one of the first stops at any time I, I start writing with that. So I want to say thank you for your time, and I appreciate being able to speak with you today on the podcast. It's been an incredible pleasure sharing this conversation with you. And just to reiterate, the first thing I do with a scientific presentation is the same thing. Go to their footnotes and go to the original studies. So we both do the exact same approach in understanding whatever we're, we're researching. As I get into the wrap-up for this episode, I want to remind you that you can see Dr. Kravitz, myself, and many of your favorite fitness presenters this year at the Idea World Convention. As a listener of All About Fitness, you can take advantage of his special savings by using code PETE19. That's PETE19 will allow you to save $30 off the price of this year's admission for Idea World 2019. I'm going to have a link below to what the convention has. You can see all your favorite fitness personalities. You will learn so much about fitness you'll walk away amazed. You do not need to be a trainer. You do not need to be an instructor. If you're just a general fitness enthusiast and you want to get your sweat on, come join us June 26th and 30th in Anaheim for this year's Idea World. That was a really fun conversation, and it's really good to know. For those of you that might be geeks like myself and Dr. Kravitz, it's good to know that that we do some of the same practices when it comes to research. But that's really what I do, and and I'm, I'm not... I'm not blowing smoke when I when I told him that that one of the first things I do when I'm working on an article or when I'm doing a you know, project or when I'm putting together a talk is I will go to Len's page. I'll look up some of his articles and I'll look in his footnotes because if you want to really get good at what you do, understand the research. What Len does, Len plays a very important role in our industry because he helps us. He helps personal trainers and fitness instructors understand the research and understand how to apply it. So for those of you, if you're a general fitness consumer, if you're an enthusiast, and this is like, wow, this is amazing. I wish you know I knew more stuff about like this. The cool thing is this is what your trainers learn. This is what your instructors learn when they go to continuing education workshops. That's why if you are a consumer, one of the most important questions you can ask, whether you're going to work with a trainer or instructor, is, hey, what continuing education have you done and when was the last time you did it? Because good trainers, good instructors are always going to workshops or going to conventions like Idea World. They're reading articles from people like Dr. Kravitz because they're staying on top of the game. I mean, look, Len has done a tremendous amount of work, and he knows this field so well, which is why he put out this book, Hit Your Limit. And what we talked about is absolutely true. Hit is a great form of exercise, but like any form of exercise, it has a point of diminishing returns, meaning that the more of it you do doesn't necessarily provide additional benefits. HIT is a very high intense. It's a lot of stress on your body. High intensity interval training is a lot of stress on your body. It works, but you have to understand the volume. You have to understand how to apply it, and that's exactly what Len's book, Hit Your Limit, does. So I can't recommend it enough. Check below in the show notes. If you want another great book about fitness, hey, I know it. <laughs> Smarter Workouts is what I wrote. I don't. I, I have some stuff in there on HIT and metabolic conditioning. If you bought HIT Your Limit and Smarter Workouts together, 
wow, <laughs> you that is that's that's basically all you need for your fitness library. And I'm not kidding about that. Between l- what Len did with hit your li- with with hit your limit, and the information I have on strength training, mobility, and movement training is smarter workouts. You really that's all. If you're just an enthusiast and you're going, what do I need to do for my own workouts? Go no further than Hit Your Limit by Dr. Len Kravitz and Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple by yours truly. I'll have, link below, I'll have links below to both in the show notes. And really, I mean it. You do not have to be an instructor to enjoy Idea World. Even if you just show up and go to the expo, you are going to get a lot out of that. So if you can make it, it would be great to see you there. It's going to be end of June this year in Anaheim, and hopefully you can make it. And if you do, please make a point to introduce yourself. I love meeting listeners of All About Fitness. I really do. I'd love to meet you, take a selfie, post it, because you know, as this thing grows, as we grow, I want to meet you if you're out there. So if you're going to be at Idea World, please look for me. I'm teaching a couple sessions there, and hopefully we can connect, and we hopefully we can take that selfie. Thanks for stopping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.